0: Well, good morning, mamas. At least it's morning here. So it's snowy outside, which is not common in Tennessee, but we'll take it. Um, Easy to stay inside, bundled up, hot drink, snuggled up movie time, right? We don't get to do that much because of the hustle and bustle. So wherever you are, I hope you're having an awesome start to your day. I'm super excited to have Amy Bousso on my podcast this week. Amy and I got connected through my health journey, and she has recently moved to the Nashville area where I live, and now we've just become the best of friends, and our girls are like the best of friends, and it's been awesome. And So I'm excited for you to hear her story of health, um, her story of fostering, her views on parenting, and kids and 2020 and mindset and all the things so get that warm cup of coffee and let's get started thanks for joining me on today's episode of the memoirs from the minivan podcast well good morning amy thank you so much for joining me on today's episode how are you I am good. Thank you for having me on today. Yeah, you're welcome. Are you loving this snow or like how are you feeling about it? I am.
1: I am. There's um one of my favorite worship songs right now. It's called Seasons. And there is a line in there about a, being a seed buried in snow. Mm. And um and man, this morning driving to your house and just seeing the snow out of nowhere, I thought, Well, that's my God wink of the day, right? I love it. it didn't have to snow, but uh but, he, but God made it snow, yeah. and it uh, just reminds me of seasons of life and
0: all of that. I love it. I love it. Well, I'm really excited to talk today and just share your story. As we have gotten to know each other better, I think that I'm just so encouraged by you and your mindset and um, all the things, and so I'm really excited to share that with listeners today. But can you kind of tell everybody a little about who you are and your family and what you do um, professionally?
1: So my name is Amy and uh, I've been really enjoying saying y'all now that we're in Nashville. So hey y'all, how you doing today? Um, I am pretty much born and raised in California and we moved to um, Nashville about three weeks ago and um, I still feel uh, my head is still spinning from all of the changes, but that's okay. Um, I'm married, got a husband. We've been married for about 12, 13 years. Um, We met when I was 20, got married like right after 21. Wow. And um, we have grown up together. (laughs) That's what I tell him. (laughs) And uh, he's my rock. And then we have two daughters. Uh, My oldest, Abigail, is eight. She's like um, pre -pre prepubescent. We're in that (laughs) interesting phase of life. And uh, and then my youngest, Emma, um, she is six, and she is feisty as ever.
0: I love it. I love it. We, we relate because my daughter falls right in the middle of your daughters, and so yeah. we're just like a little trilogy there of yeah. all the girl and sass and yep. <laughs> finding our personalities and who we are and all the things, and so it's been fun to kind of journey with you with that even the past couple of weeks. So I thought we would start... Um, with just like, you know, your your health journey, I know it's been a big part of your life, uh, but then you guys were also foster parents, and I know that's been a, a huge piece. Um, so take us back to kind of like you said, California, kind of born and raised, but take us back to kind of childhood and like, what brought you to getting married really young um, and then into that, you know, story of fostering and stuff?
1: Yeah, I, I think a lot of my story, um, when I think about it, it goes back to when I was a little kid. Um, I grew up with, so my, I have a stepdad, he's amazing, and, um, pretty much kind of grew up as a younger child with my mom, mostly.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, my dad killed himself when I was really little, mm-hmm. and, um, and that was just something that was really hard to, to live with as sure, a child, right? and, um, had some health issues as a child, and just had a lot of bullying, and mm-hmm. feel like I experienced things as a kid that, um made me realize that you know I, I, it's almost like I found my grit as as a really young person wow yeah and um, I didn't know what it was you know but mm-hmm. when you feel like life ha- is it's almost like the ocean right where there's like currents coming at you I've, I just felt like there were a lot of currents coming at me as a kid mm. and um, but in that I remember being little and my mom man she would advocate for me and fight for me and I feel like she really gave me an example of what it looked like to be a strong woman Mm -hmm. um she worked like 60 hours a week and she just she was amazing and um and so I just I remember as a little kid having this moment of realizing I never want to be like of the world Mm -hmm. um I didn't like how peers treated me. I just, I didn't like the things that I saw and I experienced and I just developed this heart to be different. Um, I developed a heart to, to not be defined by, you know, like what my father did or Mm -hmm. to not be defined by the health issues that I had. And I really made a conscious decision as I grow, as I grew up to kind of go my own way. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I like buried myself in books in school, (laughs) got straight A's. Um, I just really kind of found my passion in um, in almost being perfect, if that makes sense.
0: It and does, yeah.
1: So I feel like a lot of my journey as I got older, obviously you can't maintain perfectionism. Um, I actually went to, when I went to college, I changed majors after my first quarter because I got my first C ever. <laughs> Which is hilarious, but I, I freaked out. I had always gotten A's, and when I got a C in college, it literally shook me to my core. I relate. Yeah. And I thought, I can't be the person who gets C's. I'm going to go change my major to something I can get A's in. Okay. So I went from pre-med to psychology. <laughs> no joke. And... Um, well I didn't grow up uh, a believer I didn't grow up Christian, and um I remember going to college and I'm an only child and just feeling so excited to mm. um experience the world for the first time and just all that freedom was amazing but i also um i didn't I didn't manage that freedom well and I made a lot of poor choices my uh grandfather died my first year of college. Mm. And he was, I would say, my father figure growing sure. up because, you know, of what my uh, my dad did. And um, and so it was like leaving home for the first time, him dying. It was just, it was another layer of getting, like, my identity really shook. Sure. And so, um, anyway, I know I'm, like, all over the place right now, but my brain is like Weird. spaghetti noodles. so. <laughs> No, roll with it.
0: you're doing great. I, thanks for sharing all that. Because that's, you know, I feel like a lot of people have trauma from childhood. And I, I would yeah. say that your dad ending his life is traumatic, no matter how old you were, if you weren't old enough to remember it, when you got old enough to recognize what had happened, you're still dealing with all those issues as if you were like in the moment, right? Because now there's these things you have to process. And I feel like that we have to almost start with childhood when we're starting to think about just our life. And because we've spent 18 years sort of in that childhood pattern or pathway. And so like it's going to affect us. And so I love that you've been able to like pick out some of those pieces of like I'm willing to literally change the direction of my life to not fail. And I wanted to camp there for a second because I also have been a recovering perfectionist. I've moved on from saying I'm a perfectionist to now I'm saying I'm a recovering perfectionist (laughs) because I really relate to that. That is something I would have done. I remember getting my first B in college and being really devastated by that. So I told it was in computer science. I can tell you exactly what class it was in. It was second semester, freshman year. And I was (laughs) like, oh my gosh, I'm failing at college. I'm failing. So can you talk a little bit about that and like just that idea that you can't maintain perfectionism and kind of like what brought you through that and and what changed and how you feel about it now.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think looking back, I think I always felt like I wasn't enough in Mm -hmm. who I was as a person. And so, which came from the trauma. It came from not being rooted in the Lord, you know, it came from unhealthy areas, but when you're young, you're not processing it that way. Mm I didn't live with like a grace mindset of I'm good enough and I'm loved and you know, things outside of my control that's what they are, they're out of our control mm-hmm. and so I think that my skills really tip from a young age of well, if I don't feel loved inside, I'm gonna put my worth in performance. Yeah. And so I just found what I could excel in, which was school mm-hmm. and I studied all the time and I just I, I stuck to that. I didn't put myself out there in sports because I felt like I could fail. I didn't put myself out there with friends because of rejection, just yep. all of that stuff. And so, you know, in in college it was like, "Oh my gosh, what is happening?" and, you know, mm-hmm. all of that and so um do you want to repeat the question?
0: Yeah, just like how do you feel like you got through that or is it still something that really is a challenge for mm-hmm. you? Like, do you feel like you kind of got to a point where maybe you your believer, maybe when you mm-hmm. when you met faith, is that really when there was that kind of change for you?
1: You know, I would say when I encountered the Lord in college, Mm. so I got like radically saved in college. That was, but that came out of a season of being really broken. Yeah. Broken in my own strength, broken in realizing like I, like I could never measure up,
0: you know, and
1: just always feeling like you're falling short and just, and then realizing like, I can't live this way anymore. Like I need, I need to know God. I need only his love can fill the hole in my heart that I'm trying to put my performance in. And it's just like that square in the circle hole. Yeah. So, I mean, I've been a Christian now for like, I mean, how old am I? 34. For about 15 years. Yeah. And I feel like I'm only now scratching the surface of what it looks like to live a grace filled life. Totally. Um, that change in me in college was the beginning of a bigger transformation mm-hmm. of where I am now, but it really helped me to start letting go of my strengths and lean into God's love. Yeah. Um, and that's the only way that I've even been able to shift in my thinking, in my parenting, mm-hmm. in my relationships is just standing on the right rock, because when you stand on your own strengths and your performance, it's not a rock, it's sand. Totally. Eventually, it will come out from underneath you. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, no, I love that. Yesterday, when you and I were talking, we were talking about how things happen in our lives, and in that moment, we're just like sitting in that puzzle piece, you know? We're just sort of like right there, and we're like, what is going on? And it just looks like, you know, a messy bog of gray or blue Mm -hmm. or whatever it is. And then as the puzzle pieces start to come together and you're able to zoom out, the picture starts to make more sense. And so, you know, I want to talk a little bit about your fostering journey because I feel like um, a lot of foster children are broken and maybe come from trauma. And so, you know, you having had some of those experiences as a child, um, I feel like your ability to connect with some of those stories is probably there. So talk to a little bit about that foster journey, what that looked like and what you learned from it.
1: Yeah. Oh man, how much time do you have? (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's interesting. So our fostering was, you know, we, we did it, we started it five years ago. We did it for three years. Mm -hmm. And so it's been two years out since, you know, we've fostered and, I can now talk about it, and it feels more like data, more like a historical record that you read versus, sure. like, the emotional wound of what it was. Yeah. We had a, a very challenging fostering experience, and it actually, we, we started it because we couldn't have any kids. It wasn't because, like, I, I went through trauma and I wanted to help another child. I mean, there was that in the midst of it. Sure. Yeah. Um, but I had significant health issues getting pregnant um, with my two girls. And so after they were born, we were essentially told, like, we can't, can't go down that road again, and we thought we were good. But then um, when our youngest was about two, we just really felt like there was some someone missing. Like, I would, sure. we would sit at the table, and it just felt like, You know, in that empty chair across from me, there was meant to be a child there. Mm. So we really wrestled with it and we looked at all the options and we thought, you know what, let's go fostering so that way we can make the most impact because there is a shorter line of parents looking for foster kids than there are for like a private adoption. Yeah. And so, you know, so it kind of stemmed out of a need or a desire and a dream to have a son And then we, it also tapped into our hearts to, um, to make a difference and to make an impact. And I knew how I felt growing up feeling rejected and unloved, Mm. um, by my father. And so we thought, gosh, we have an amazing family. Like we can bring, you know, a child in. Sure. Um, excuse me. So when we fostered, we went into it with um, just this, like, romantic idea of this is going to yeah. be so amazing. We're going to get a baby. It's going to be, like, this is us. Um, and, you know, right? Like, we all have that, like, picture-perfect idea. Because TV's real. It's, it is It's real, totally real. Right? Yeah. Right? It is real. Um, and so, anyway, and it actually cracks us up with that show. I love it. But they essentially just left, like, the hospital with the baby and, and that's just not, it's <laughs> not real life happens. <laughs> and so when we fostered, I'm a very type A and they said, most families, it takes about six months to go through the process to get certified. So just so you know, a timeline. And I thought, well, I'm going to set a record. It took us about like six weeks.
0: Wow. Because
1: I was like on every form, like it became like my purpose yeah to get a baby and to get a child. And so we like went through that super fast and, um, you hear all these stories about how there's like foster kids waiting and all that, right? Mm. So we're certified and every day I'm checking my phone. Well, we didn't get a call until six months later. Oh, wow. And it was it was wild. And I thought, we just got certified. Like, why are we waiting? Yeah. And so I learned a lot about how to wait um, mm. well because you can wait not well and it can wreck your life. And yeah. I just remember in that time... I got so consumed with the waiting that it really diminished the quality of my life in that season. Mm. So we got our first little boy, and oh my gosh, he, like, he stole our hearts. He was amazing. It, he was just, I still to this day, my husband and I think about him. And mm. um, we had him for about six months, and um, we got a call one day. I was walking into Target, into the pharmacy section, the social worker called us and he said essentially we're going to come tomorrow to take the baby he's getting reunified with his parents mm-hmm. which it's a good thing right you want that but we went into the we went into fostering with the thought process of we want a child right and not we're here to steward these children and to love them for whatever time we have and if yeah. we get to keep them amazing yeah but we went into it with the wrong focus and so I remember being in the middle of the Target pharmacy With this little boy who was like eight months old, my daughter who was two, my older one who was four, and I was bawling, like Mm -hmm. bawling in the middle of things because it felt like I was losing my baby. Sure. And the next day we took him to the social worker's office and it was one of the hardest moments of my life to Mm. go in and to give this baby back. It just, it, it literally felt like I was losing a child. And yeah, I still don't know if I fully recovered from it. Like yeah. now that I'm talking about it, there's sure. definitely, you know, some pain that's coming up. But, um, so we, we walked through that as a family and I remember like folding his clothes and putting them oh, in bins man. and all that kind of stuff. And so many emotions of like grieving the loss of him, mm-hmm. but then like, holding on to a dream of, well, if he wasn't the one, maybe the next one is there. And then going back to waiting <laughs> because yeah. now you go back to, okay, now I got to wait for another phone call. But then you've got your own children that need you and you've got you and a husband and you've got work. And it was just, it just felt like the walls were caving in on me. Mm-hmm. So then a couple of months later, we got another phone call about a little boy and um, he stayed with us only for a handful of months. Um, and, and I would say... I wish that I had taken more time to get my heart healed before he came Yeah. because I don't think I fully was able to be present with him because I was still grieving the loss of the first one. Sure. So that was our second failed failed adoption. And at this point, we had been in the journey for about two years and... I was angry, I was sad, I was hurting, I was broken, just so many emotions, and I reached this point with the Lord where I literally was crying out of, like, what do you want with us in this process? Because we went into it thinking we are going to get a child, and it has not been that. Yeah. If anything, it's been paved with a lot of hurt, a lot of confusion, a lot of pain, and, um, and so I thought, if we're going to do this, like, I need to, you know, like... Like, open up the door, God, right? Mm -hmm. Like, make it really clear. And um, so I went with um, our social worker into the office. They have, and we were in California, they have a database of children who are waiting without homes, Um, which is pretty crazy. You can literally flip through a giant binder with hundreds of faces of kids who um, are essentially, you know, terminated parental rights, and they are just sitting in a foster home, sitting in a group home. Most of them are older, and the ones who are little are very medically fragile. So that's why they're sitting is because it takes a unique family to be able to take that on. And as I was flipping, I found this little boy that um, he had just kind of newly entered the binder, (laughs) the database, as you want to call it. And he was within our age, you know, parameters. We were really trying to keep birth order um, with our kids. And it, it seemed like it could work. I was a little confused almost why they didn't call us and tell us about him. And, um, and so the next day, we ended up going to a family fair. And this was a little wild at the family fair. It's literally like a giant NPR room. And there are tables surrounding the walls with all of the counties, and each county has social workers there, and they have pictures of um, kids that are available for placement. Wow. And so you literally are like shopping around, and you have a sheet with your family information, and so you're giving them almost like trading cards, right? You're like, okay, who do you have? Now here's our trading card. Wow. And so we went to the table where this little boy, um, the county where he was from, and I talked to the social worker and we gave him our family, you know, um, paper and tried to leave a really good impression. And they said that um, they were looking for a family to adopt him. It was a really unique case because his parental rights were already terminated and he needed to get adopted right away. And I just felt like this is it. This is what we've been waiting for. This is our moment. This is our son. Um, So then they took our paper. And then the waiting started again. A lot of waiting. Mm. (laughs) And we got a phone call a couple weeks later that they did not pick our family. Mm. And I was at Target again. (laughs) This time I was in the bathing suit section with my kids. And I start crying again. They're probably like, who is this Target mom that keeps crying? Or I just go to Target a lot. But, um... And I just was crushed, yet again, crushed when you, you know, think something's going to happen and it doesn't, and yeah. you've been deeply crying out for this dream and desire just crushed. And I just thought, I have nothing left to give. Yeah. And so at this point, my husband and I, we just decided, we're just going to like sit on this fostering thing. We're not going to do anything. We're not going to yeah. pursue it. Like, we're just going to sit. So then couple weeks later I was um, bouncing in the trampoline with my girls and he the little boy um, he came on my heart and I thought I'm gonna call a social worker and I'm just gonna see how he's doing I'm just gonna reach Mm -hmm. out and so I called the social worker and she said it's so crazy that you called because the county that he's in just called and said that the family they were gonna place him in didn't work out. And they wanted to look at us. And it just, again, felt like, oh my gosh, like this is the gossip. This is it. Yeah. So I told my husband, you know, and now it had been like two and a half years that we had been pursuing this whole process. And so then the, then it really started beginning. So he lived, it was about like a two hour drive. So we went and we did a big panel meeting with the yeah. county, and um, they told us all about him, and they really, really his biggest, you know, c- concerns, if you want to call it, was that um, he just had a speech delay, which we thought, well, we could totally overcome that, like, we're overachievers, we're educated people, like, we yeah. can help him. Yeah. So, for a month, they had us visiting with him twice a week, so that way we could begin to, you know, develop a relationship, and so we were driving four hours, twice a week to wow. see him. Um, during this time, you know, our girls were either coming with us or they were with the friends, you know, there was just, it was such a sacrifice to make this happen. And, um, and so I remember we brought him home and now that the home that he was living in, um, he was with an elderly person and, was a really bad situation Mm -hmm. um in this home I won't go into too many details but I just kept thinking oh my gosh when we bring him home into our beautiful new loving home he is going to thrive so much there was just so much joy wrapped around bringing him home and um I went to Hobby Lobby and I like custom made his whole bedroom my (laughs) husband and I we do a lot of design and it was dinosaur themed and we made the cutest, like, furniture for him, and we made this really cute um, thing that you hang up your coats on out of a piece of wood, and then, like, plastic dinosaurs that you, we, we like, nailed in. That Anyway. So cute. Just so much love yeah. went into all the details of bringing him home. So we picked him up, we brought him home, and he got to our house, and he just shut down. Um, and... A while later, I was talking to my friend who um, who, who was fostering as well, and she told me about this movie called Room. Mm. And have you ever seen it? Mm-mm. It's a bit intense. But it's essentially about this person who gets taken and has a baby, and, and they're essentially held hostage in a room. Mm. And the baby grows up in this room, and the mom escapes with her child, but all he wants to do is go back to the room because yeah. it's what he knew. That's what he knows, yeah. So... We spent five, five to six months with our little guy, um, really just trying to make it work. Um, we, so we essentially, they said, okay, you've got six months as like a trial period. We're just going to make sure he's a good fit and then you can adopt him. And so, um, because of our business, my husband was actually able to leave his job. So he and I were both home full-time parents. We were able to pay privately for him to have services because of our, you know, our income with our coaching business. So we gave him, you know, two stay-at-home parents, um, private services, all these things. And he just kept declining day mm-hmm. after day We had that we had him. He ended up um, having every issue from like speech delays to a week in um, the ICU. Oh, wow. Um, health issues, failure to thrive, emotional attachment issues. um, So, so many issues. And I just, he really fell through the cracks in the system. And it's just really devastating when I look back to see the help he needed at a a young age that he didn't get. And then we got him and it it honestly wrecked our family Mm -hmm. in the process of just loving him and giving him everything, pouring everything out so that we could attach and bond and become a family. It just tore us at the seams. And it's interesting because having him actually triggered my trauma, mm. which I did not expect. And um, and that was a really interesting thing for me to go through because I felt so rejected by him. He wouldn't attach to me as his mom. Yeah. There, He just had such deep wounds that it was hard for him to attach, right? And so me as mom, um, and it's possible that like his mother was the one that was abusive to him. We don't know all of his story. Yeah. So then I started, um, going to counseling once, twice a week because I thought, oh my gosh, like I am falling apart inside. Mm-hmm. We're trying to like make this work with this boy and our girls. And I kept thinking like, I'm the problem. I, you know, it goes back to that perfection thing of like, yeah, sure. why can't I make this work? I, you know, I'm not good enough. I'm mm-hmm. trying my hardest, you know, all these things. And, um, we reached a point about six months in where we were, and after this point, I mean, we had spent a couple weeks with him at at the ICU. He had significant health issues. He needed emergency surgeries. There was just so much that we were doing. Um, and, uh, the doctors, he wouldn't eat and, um, he was in the emergency room for dehydration. There was just so many things that it got to the point with him where he started looking at us as the, um, as like the. Um, almost like the abuser yeah and so we realized and I was in a counseling session processing it and our counselor she said you know he really does have reactive attachment disorder and she helped me to realize that like it wasn't me it was him which sounds you know it might sound a little cliche but it helped me to disconnect like to pull apart everything we were doing it wasn't because we were failing as parents he just needed more help than we can give him yeah and that sometimes holding on to a dream can is not healthy mm-hmm. and um, trying to make it work with him thinking that he was the one that our dream was that it wasn't it just wasn't working and we yeah. had to let it go wow And so, um, she asked me, she said, what role do you have to play in his life to, to have the most loving and empathy and just warmth for him? And I said, it's not mom, it's like aunt or friend or, you know, supporters, things like that. And that's when I realized it was actually doing him a disservice staying in our family because Mm -hmm. he needed more help than we could, what we could offer. And by keeping him in our family, um, It was actually holding him back from being in the family he needed to be in. Yeah. And so that was, again, probably the hardest decision to make, to
0: call our social worker and to say, we can't do this. Mm -hmm. Um, So when you get on the other side of this, and I know now that fostering did not work out for you guys, mm -hmm. and you have this story of, you know, four kiddos at this point that you Mm -hmm. have had stories within their life And obviously you're learning about your own trauma and, you know, you said something in there that I think sometimes my husband and I also went through fostering class and our person who was leading that class ended up telling us she didn't think we would be a good fit for fostering, um, which was, which was interesting. But I think on the other side of that, I recognize that sometimes I can have sort of a savior complex of like, you know, I'm... I'm here, this is part of you know, my purpose, and I think you said yeah. something in there that like me holding on to something that wasn't working out was preventing him from being where he needed to be, yeah. and that is really, really powerful. Yeah. Um, on the other side of that whole journey, and I'm sure there's things you're still processing, what would you tell a parent who is thinking about fostering or who might be just in the middle of something like what you went through?
1: Yeah, well... I think I realized towards the end that it wasn't about me. It was about him and doing what was right for him. Um, And we essentially looking back now, like God used our open hearts Mm. to help three children have refuge for a certain period of time. Um, And we were kind of like a a stepping stone for him Mm. to get to a better county, to then go to a family and the family that we were able to advocate for him to go to. He couldn't have kids. He was the only child. Like they were positioned to help him more, mm-hmm. um, and so I, I think I learned a lot going into this. You know, yes, it would have been great to adopt, right? Like it would have been so wonderful. But um, sometimes, what you think about that, what what you think about situations you go into is that God's plan is different, mm-hmm. and going through fostering for me helped me to realize that I still needed to do some work in my heart Mm. because it did bring up a lot about my trauma. It really set me, um, on a journey of just deeper Mm self-care and deeper healing for myself. I think it showed our family that like we could do anything like that. We truly could do the hard things Mm. and that it was greater living a life of obedience than living a life of comfort. Right. Like We went into it with this romantic idea. We're going to adopt, right? And this is going to be great, but nothing happened the way we did. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it's okay. Like I can now say that it's okay and be okay with scenarios happening that you don't expect and go into it with the thought of like, it's not about you. It's about the child Mm -hmm. and what's right in the child. And sometimes that does mean they go back to their family Mm -hmm. or sometimes it means realizing the, the extent of your limitations, Um, and, and so what I would say to someone who's going into fostering is surround yourself with people who have done it, Mm -hmm. people who have had great experiences and awful experiences, um, and ask them for like the raw and real Mm -hmm. details because it's not all this is us, right? Yeah. It's, it's hard. And these kids have gone through trauma and, You can't just, you know, snuggle them to healing. Like there, it is, it is a lot and be prepared, you know, and, and go into it with that heart of, I'm here to make a difference. Mm -hmm. No matter if I get to keep them or not, no matter how long they stay in my home, make it about the ministry. Because if your heart is in the right place, you'll be okay with the outcome. You'll be unattached to the outcome. And that was my mistake is I was doing it for me and I was holding on to an outcome that, we just didn't get. And, and like I said, it's okay. And I think about now how our life has taken shape since we fostered. And I don't think we would have been able to do the things we've done mm. if we had kept the last boy or if we had adopted because the, God had a greater plan for our family that didn't involve having a son. And it could in the, could in the future. But I think our time in that was more about us growing as a family mm-hmm. and and almost just living learning to live with open hands of surrender and God shape me and mold me in this hard place. And yeah, I remember the last thing I'll share about it. There was a, um, a point in the middle of all of it where I was crying and worshiping and just, man, wrestling with it. And I was thinking, um, I had this image of like people in a boat and Jesus is out on the water and the water is scary and it's dark and all of that stuff. And I thought, I'd rather be a Christian awake on the water in terrifying, in a terrifying place Mm -hmm. with Jesus than asleep on the boat because I'm just wanting to be comfortable in my life and not live a life of impact.
0: Yeah, no, that's really powerful. Thanks for sharing all that. I know that that's not easy. You know, we are in community with some other folks who have fostered and there's a lot in that journey that can be hard. Um, And I think like what you said, you know, you were part of the story, but you were focused on the outcome at certain times. And we have a tendency to do that, just like Mm -hmm. make the outcome the whole thing when really the journey is what Mm -hmm. is really important and what really matters. So um, thinking about your life now as a mom and how you parent, do you feel like, um, or, or I'm sure there is an impact, but what, what are some of the things you feel like have changed you like as a mom and how you go about parenting, um, you know, from that process or, or just what you've learned and being a mom over the last eight years?
1: Yeah. Man, mothering, I would say has been, um, probably one of the most refining tools, right? <laughs> right. It, I feel like there's some people who don't allow it to grow you right and shape Mm -hmm. you. Um, and I've from the, I mean, I'm an only child. So like having children from like day one has like been hard Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I, I've had so many conversations with friends about like, Oh my gosh, my kids are fighting. This is awful. And they're like, It's normal. This is normal. It's normal. And I'm like, but I, like, there's noise and there's chaos and what's going on. And, and I just think I just have had this heart in my life. And it probably comes from, you know, a young age of just, I want to do this right. I Mm -hmm. want to live my life on purpose. Um, I want to live a life of impact. You know, I don't want to live a life where I'm looking for accolades and the eulogy, right? Like, I want to live intentionally and so it means that, you know, when I had it, when I had my firstborn, I didn't know what the heck I was doing, but yeah. I was asking questions from other moms. Mm-hmm. How can I do this better? Mm. How can I grow? And I've made a lot of mistakes along the way, but every day I get better. And just really, um, allowing mothering to be something that, that grows me so yeah. that I can show my girls an example. Um, like my mom showed me of what strength looks like. Yeah. Strength doesn't look like having it all together. It, it looks like humility and rising up when you want to stay down mm-hmm. and getting out of your comfort zones and being willing to live bold and live large and be faith driven and, um, and listen to God. And, you know, we just moved across country So that our kids could have a better life. Mm. Um, It's been hard on every level, leaving family and friends and everything we've known. But in the time we've been here, it's been exactly what we've needed. Yeah, I love
0: that. Well, I want to make sure that we talk about your health journey and, you know, your business as a health coach. Because um, it's been... Really awesome to get to know you within that chapter, and I know that um, that's been a huge reason why your family like moved across country is overall health, not just like um, you know the size on our pants or whatever. And if you've yeah. been listening to my podcast for any length of time, you know that I'm super passionate about that, and a huge shift in my mindset over the last twelve months has to do um, you know, with, with health coaching and, and Amy is right in the middle of that. So share with listeners a little bit about your own health journey and what mm-hmm. brought you, um, to that decision of like, I've got to do something mm-hmm. and then, um, yeah, we can go from there. Yeah.
1: So it was actually about five years ago this month. Um, I was sitting and at home and, um, we had just moved to Sacramento. So brand new in the area. And I just really started, um, real, I just started seeing how my health was holding me back. Mm. I, man, I would get dressed in the dark, like my husband would walk in the bedroom and then I would go in the closet and get dressed really fast because I was embarrassed. Wow. Um, I would purposefully do activities on the couch so that I didn't have to move around with my kids because I didn't have any energy. Yeah. Um, I would, um, avoid going out in public and meeting new people. And we were new to the area and we needed friends. And here I am like holding myself back. Um, totally. I would dress to hide, hide my body. Mm-hmm. Um, the more layers the better. Cause then you can wrap it around you. Yep. <laughs> and, um, and I just started realizing like, ah, I'm like 28 Mm -hmm. and I feel like I'm 60, you know, and I thought, what life is this? Like, I don't want to be the mom who is holding back intimacy with her husband because I'm uncomfortable in my body. Like I, if I feel this way now, like where is it going to go years from now? And Mm -hmm. so I grew up overweight and I think a lot of it had to do with just you know the relationship with food I was taught, and trauma, and right all those kind of things. Like you don't just put weight on in a bubble. Like there are reasons why we get unhealthy. Yeah. And so, in this season, I really started praying about it and thinking about like what could my life look like if my body was a temple and I treated it that mm-hmm. way and I allowed it to um, become healthier. And what kind of mom could I could I be and wife and what kind of life could I live and You know, I'd always wanted to do like service projects, but like I'm not gonna go volunteer picking up trash or feeding the homeless if I can't even like do my dishes. Yeah. So I really felt like in this time that God was saying, like, there's an amazing life for you ahead, Mm -hmm. but your health is holding you back. Mm -hmm. And so I started thinking, Okay, I gotta do something. It's time for a change. And um Man, I, I was taking these supplements at the time. This is a little side story. And I remember going to In-N-Out, eating a whole In-N-Out experience and coming home and taking my supplements because I was <laughs> like, oh my gosh, I got to undo what I just did. And I thought, and I got so convicted. I thought, wow, I'm I'm so unhealthy in my brain and yeah. my habits. I need something real, but I didn't know what that was. And I met my health coach as a total God, you know, thing. And as I talked to her, I realized... This is what I need. I need to work with a health coach. I need to work with someone who knows the journey. Mm -hmm. Um, I need to stop doing it alone. And I need to stop convincing myself that I know what to do because I didn't. If I did, I would have gotten healthy. Right. So I started this crazy program that I never thought I would ever do. (laughs) And um, my goal was five pounds because I thought that was impossible. Well, I lost seven in a week and it blew my mind. Like it literally blew my mind. And I thought if I could do that in a week, like what's possible in a month, in two Mm -hmm. months. And so in two months I lost 20 pounds and it revolutionized my life because Yeah, so for me, it wasn't just about the physical changes. It was about who I was becoming in the process. Mm -hmm. It was realizing that I was finally turning into the person. I always knew I was inside, but I never thought she could emerge because there was obviously physical layers of fat, but then also mental layers of unhealth and Mm -hmm. emotional layers. And so much got uncovered for me as I got healthy. And it wasn't until I did our program that I really started learning my mindset and I realized I have a messed up relationship with food. And if I wanted my body to get healthy, I needed to get my mind healthy and I needed to change my habits and my thinking. And it just became this like powerful domino that I never experienced. Um, And I remember um, just so many moments of, Oh, this was a good one. My husband, I was in the bathroom and he came behind me and put his hands around my like Around my waist and he freaked out and he was like, What is that? And I'm like, Oh, uh, those are my ribs. <laughs> and he's like, I didn't never felt that before and I thought, Yeah, they're there, I That's promise. So funny. Yeah. And um and I so I used to be um so kind of in this season of change and getting healthy, I also was feeling like, All right, my girls are getting a little older mm-hmm. and I'm gonna need to do something for a job. And um, it's interesting how they all were, it was just a timing paralleled itself. And I used to be a law enforcement officer and um, I knew I didn't want to go back to that. But I also felt like that was my only option because that sure. was my resume. Yeah. And uh, there was an FBI building um, in our town and I was thinking about applying there, but just thinking like, ah, oh, my girls are four and two. I don't want to leave them. And just this tension. Um, And so a couple weeks into me getting healthy, I had a friend ask what I was doing, and um, I let him know I'm working with a health coach, and he wanted to get healthy. And so I called my coach, and she said, well, why don't you coach him? And I said, are you kidding me? I have been fat for a very long time. Like, (laughs) I am in no position to help someone. So she helped the person, and while she was helping him, he asked me all these questions, and I totally knew the answer. It was really simple, and I thought maybe I could do this, and I yeah. started getting this little bit of hope, a little bit of faith that, yeah, I am encouraging, and I started looking at myself less less about, like, my job history and more about my giftings and my talents, yeah, and realizing that God can use me in any avenue, and it just was more about having that
0: open heart. Just in true transparency, I think this is section nine <laughs> of Amy and I's podcast, because... We've been interrupted at right. least 12 times uh, by kids, <laughs> but that is mom life. And yep. so when you listen to these episodes and you're like, wow, it's so quiet and whatever. I've probably deleted out someone peeing in the background. <laughs> I've probably wiped someone's butt in the middle of the podcast. I've, that's mom life. And so yeah. I never, ever want anyone thinking, um, wow, it's you know so quiet and how does she do all that? There's editing guys and there's you know, stop and pause and push start and push play and so I just I want to share that transparency because it's really important to me um, as Amy and I sit here and talk about nothing goes perfectly. Uh, know that these things don't go perfectly yeah. either and so
1: well, and I'm totally interrupt, interrupt you right now You're good. I think mom life if we allow it, can refine us like I mentioned earlier but I just thought of that phrase like perfectly unpolished like we are perfectly unpolished but like diamonds are made in the fire yeah and I want to be a diamond yeah and so I need to embrace the fire you know so that I can um be strong and show my girls, you know, what true strength and beauty looks like. What does
0: that look like for you, embracing the fire? So in moments where things are hard with your kids or you're tense with your husband because you don't feel like he's stepping up in a moment where you need him to, um, what does embracing the fire look like in some of those just everyday moments?
1: Yeah, I think it means Breathing, mm. a lot of breathing, <laughs> a lot of conscious living. Mm. Um, I always think with the end in mind
0: Yeah.
1: of, you know, I, I think because I didn't cut, I, I what I came from, there was a lot of heartache. And so my husband and I are very much the ones who are starting to grow something healthy for our family and I want to be like that oak tree that's planted and rooted. Um, and so for me, I think about how I want to show up and i start my day consciously and mm-hmm. when the moments of i call them eruptions emotional eruptions yeah. happen whether it's like she took my toy or there's just so many moments in the day where you could blow it and you know and it's not about being perfect it's about being present and mm-hmm. so for me it's embracing the hard embracing the obstacles um Letting Jesus lead me <laughs> because truly, um, if I didn't have a Holy Spirit, I would, you know, be in a hard place. Mm-hmm. And um and, and
0: sometimes I think we do blow it, you know, like yep. there are moments where Always. I lose my mind. Yeah. And, you know, I think one of the things I've learned as a mom is that I can apologize too yeah. and I am also forgiven. Yeah. I don't have to get it all right. Yeah. I can ask my kids for forgiveness. I can yeah. show them that I don't have it all together all the time, and um, mom lost her temper, and I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Yeah, and move on. And it demonstrates what Mm -hmm. that Mm
1: -hmm.
0: perfectly unpolished, you know, scenario looks like.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. Because where else are they going to learn how to ask for forgiveness if we're not showing them what true humility and brokenness, you know, looks like? Yep. Um, and it's okay to be broken. It's okay to say, oh my gosh, like my sinful nature just like totally flew the coop and like I blew it. But more than that, I love you and, and forgive me, honey, please, yeah. please give me grace. And, and then you, and then you move forward in a way that's healthy and real and raw. Yeah. Um, because that's, what's going to make the difference.
0: Yeah. And can you talk a little bit? Cause I know we spend a lot of time in our health journey as we kind of start to wrap up here, talking about the journey and not the outcome. And I feel like as yeah. you talk through your fostering story that you were so focused on the outcome. Yeah. And now that you're in this health journey and as a health coach, you're helping lots of other people navigate the journey. And we mm-hmm. talk a lot about don't be focused on the outcome, not necessarily yeah. on the scale, not but the journey and what mm-hmm. you're learning and how you're making better choices today than you would have last month or last yeah. year. Um, so how is all that kind of coming together for you now in this chapter?
1: Yeah. I mean, when I lost weight, I could not wait for the time to go by faster every day. I was like anxious, anxious, anxious. And then I got there and then I was a little bit like, Oh shoot. Now what do I do? Yeah. And, and so here I am five years later, right. Still pursuing my health. And I've just realized that you can be caught up in the wrong things in a season and then waste the season Mm. instead of realizing what season you're in and and leaning in and being okay with, you know, things not going as you you expect it, but allowing yourself to learn because Mm. everything you're in today is preparing you for tomorrow. So make the most of what you're in and I always tell my clients, <clears throat> okay, right now I want you, yes, follow your nutrition plan, be mm-hmm. consistent, but I want you to lean in and learn so that today is a preparation for tomorrow and tomorrow is a preparation for the next day. Yeah. Um, and I think in starting our business five years ago, you know, I never knew where it would go. It just, I realized that I had a need. I also had some giftings that I could encourage someone. I wanted to be home and there was an open door to help people. Why wouldn't I, I walk through it? And, um, it was kind of a hobby. It was just, you know, something I can do at home. Maybe it would help me pay for a date night or, you know, get my nails done. Mm -hmm. And now here we are five years later and we generate over $10 million of revenue a year. And, um, and I've just learned so much in terms of the process and planting seeds and believing in yourself and, Um, and and trusting that you are fully capable for the season of life that you're in, Mm -hmm. even if it surprises
0: you, right? Yeah, I love that. I love that. Well, thank you so much for sharing this crazy hour, (laughs) however long we've been talking. And uh, we've got kids out in the snow. Who knows um, what we're going to find when we walk out into the hallway. But that is just it is, you know, being an intentional mom is also about just carving out time to do the things that are important and embracing then whatever hits you when you walk out the door um, and just having fun and, and learning in those moments. And so I've just really enjoyed our conversation today. I always enjoy our chats. Um, so if you had one piece of advice, best piece of advice for like the, either the working mom who's in the home or working mom out of the home what would you say to her?
1: Oh, man. I was thinking about that, and I think I'm just going to share what is on my heart right now and hope that it's for the one person out there, but there is value in your valley. Mm-hmm. There's value in what the valley is going to teach you, but you also have value in your valley, if that makes sense. Um, even on your worst day, you can still make a difference. Yeah, You can make a difference in the small things at home. You can make a difference in the stranger out in the world your life matters and Mm -hmm. the circumstances you're in don't change the value of your life. Um, And I'm realizing in this season of like starting over on so many levels that no matter what the world throws at you, there is always grace, grace in the moment, grace in the day, grace for your family. And so choose to fix your eyes on the right things and learn to let go of what doesn't serve you so that you Mm -hmm. can become who you're meant to be, which is a diamond, right? We're meant to be women who are strong. We're not meant to do everything. We're meant to be strong in our lane, in in our field that God has called us in.
0: Yeah, I love that. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, I hope you enjoyed that, and I just love the story of overcoming in Amy's story and just always moving forward and looking for the wins and looking for the ways in which the hard things are refining you. So good. As always, I appreciate your time and if you found this episode helpful or encouraging, would you just give the podcast a thumbs up or leave a review? That just helps um, other mamas find us and know that we're out there to help encourage them. And as always, thanks for listening and spending just a little bit of your day or evening with me. I always appreciate that. So thanks for joining me today on this episode of the memoirs from the minivan podcast.